Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Live Friday, January 26, 2018. Beautiful, clear blue sky. It's cold. It's about six or eight above. Breeze out of the northwest. And uh, it's a nice day. No rain, no sleet, no freezing rain, no floods. We've had quite a winter so far, but we're looking at uh, several days of decent, normal winter weather. No heavy snow. We can get out, let things freeze up again, and uh, ice fishing is good. There's an awesome picture of a girl that caught a huge brook trout, biggest brook trout I ever saw in my life. Girl's about 12, 14 years old, cute as a button, great big male brook trout. It's got to be two feet long, maybe more. It's on the Internet. So uh, I won't say who's, who it is and what lake it is, but it's a, it's a beautiful picture. She caught it last weekend. Ice fishing with her dad. That's pretty good. Okay. we got a whole lot going on in this world right now. They had uh, a glitch in their spending, in federal spending, because uh, Democrat uh, Senate leader wanted to uh, hold up our entire government so that we could keep all the illegal aliens in the country. And that's a, it's a serious problem. We've got people flooding across our borders. They're flying in. They're coming in by boat. They're coming across the border from Mexico. Some of them are coming across the border from Canada. Our Canadian border is wide open. We don't need a fence. We've got enough electronic giddy gappers up there along the border. If somebody walks across, 
one of these motion detectors and cameras will be activated. And next thing you know, a border patrol truck pulls up and starts following the tracks in the snow. And we have people crossing with snowmobiles in New York State. Uh, there's no fence, and a huge number of cigarettes get smuggled into and out of our country across the tribal lands south of the St. Lawrence River. So it's not the boundary. The boundary is not the river there. The boundary is just a straight line across the northern tip of New York State. And the tribe is on both sides of the border, and they walk back and forth across the border up there in New York State, just like they do in Maine. Mix Max, Mix Max, Maliseets, Passamaquoddies. They, uh, they just wander back and forth across the border, and nobody bothers them because they're not going to stay in Canada. They're going to come back to where they live in Maine. And the Canadians aren't going to stay in the U.S. because they've got better insurance in, in Canada, medical insurance. But they wander back and forth and visit their relatives, and nobody bothers them. And they don't create any big problems. They're not involved in, in heavy-duty illegal drugs and stuff like that. In Europe, they have virtually no borders. You know, people wander back and forth between the countries. and They've got the same currency. It's the euro. And they keep, some nations have their own currencies that are still good. And people that are, are have a sense of, of national identity and patriotism will still use the French franc. But the store will take French francs and the store will take euros and nobody nobody creates a, a problem about it. So the world's wealthiest individuals and the heads of some of the world's largest corporations are meeting in Davos, uh, Switzerland right now. They've been meeting there all week. Uh, President Trump was not invited. Many heads of nations were invited because they're very much involved in finance and economics. And it's important. So he decided to rent a hotel suite over there and go to Davos and speak with, with uh, those people that he would like to speak with. And... Uh, the organizers of this event felt, realized that they were being uh, taken out through the back door. So he, they said, "Well, you can come. You know, you're invited. You're an invited guest." He didn't care whether he was invited or not. He didn't need to be invited. He just traveled to Davos and rented a, I don't know, a whole floor of a hotel or something. Then he's over there and he had a meeting. Uh, yesterday, well, it was last night, but it was during the afternoon Eastern Standard Time, and he invited each of these distinguished people to speak. And several motor vehicle manufacturers are going to bring their manufacturing operations back into the United States. So they're going to be buying raw materials, employing people, you know, it's not going to be like the old days when they had three times as many people working at General Motors as they actually needed. That 
that's not going to happen anymore. You know, they they need lots of good people. They need people that are going to show up for work, sober, and work all day in the home at the end of their shift. Reliably. Five days a week. Sometimes six days a week. We need that. We need people that have that work ethic. People from Maine had that work work ethic for years. And uh, in 1964, Lyndon Baines Johnson established the Grand Society. And they paid people not to work. We've got 92 million of them now between the ages of 18 and 65 in our nation not working. Many of these folks are incapacitated, truly disabled, uh, have low levels of intelligence, various handicaps. I mean, a whole bunch of those millions of people will never have a a regular full-time job. We take care of those people. We're a very humanitarian country. We take care of people all over the world. We give millions of dollars to the Palestinian Authority to use against Israel. We we make those decisions. But getting back to Davos, there were probably 20 people sitting around that large oval table, President Trump sitting in the middle, and he invited each one of them to speak. And they said, you know, they were pleased to do business with the United States and they want to do more business and they're going to invest in the United States because they're not going to be taxed as much as they would have. Now, Mercedes is building SUVs in Alabama because it's more efficient for them to build the SUVs in Alabama than it is to build a new plant in Germany because it's just plain more efficient. Alabama likes manufacturing. And now they're going to build another plant. And they've built, there are foreign manufacturers that are going to build more and more manufacturing facilities in the U.S. because they're able to do, operate the plant safely and efficiently. And our our automotive industry virtually collapsed right after Obama was elected. And General Motors and Chrysler uh, essentially declared bankruptcy. And it was kind of interesting to watch the process because General Motors sat down with the union and they said, this is what we want. Said, okay, we want this too. General Moore said, okay. And the union guys are looking at each other, and he says, well, we want this. General Moore says, okay. Anything like, yeah, we'd like to have, you know, medical insurance for our retirees forever and their families and their relatives and anybody else, you know. Okay. And the union guys are all looking at each other, and then they realized there is no way in God's green earth that General Motors can pay for this. They're going to go belly up. And they did. We told you. Can't afford it. 
It's true. So Barack Hussein Obama swooped in, took over General Motors, and they made sure that the Union Pension Fund remained intact. They're, they're good. And the stockholders came out relatively well, big-time heavy hitters. You know who got who lost everything? The managers, the superintendents, the engineers, the designers, the computer programmers, all the professional people who were not union members. They lost everything. And they General Motors put up a help wanted sign and they started out with nothing. No pensions, no retirement. Virtually no no company medical benefits. They they could get Obamacare that they paid for themselves at twelve thousand dollars a year or more. And that's what happened. And that's what happened with Chrysler. Chrysler went belly up. And Chrysler got sold twice. And now remember Fiat? Little tiny cars made in Italy, Fiat's. They had little tiny trucks made in Italy. They bought Chrysler Corporation. It is now Fiat Chrysler. They own Chrysler. Now, Mercedes-Benz, or no, the name of the company is Daimler-Benz. Daimler-Benz bought Chrysler. Now, they didn't want the Chrysler brands. They didn't want the Chrysler dealerships. They didn't want to import Chrysler to Germany. They bought Chrysler because of the patents. Chrysler had the first large design facility where they could design a car on paper, make the parts, make the auto bodies and the glass and the brakes and everything in it, the engines, put them together, and they sold the first one. The first K car that came out from Chrysler, and this is back in around 1982 or something like that. Let's see. In, in that era. They're going to, uh, they, made the, they made and sold the first K car. They didn't have to make, have a whole bunch of mistakes and find stuff that didn't fit. <clears throat> it was all, all ready to go. Every single part in three dimensions, was ready to go. And then the next couple of dozen were sent out for crash tests and proving grounds and all that kind of stuff. But the point was that they sold the first one to a customer. And the whole K-car, the front end of the K-car, from the firewall forward, that whole front suspension and engine was made as one unit in one place and brought there and stuck onto onto the frame. Well, onto the car, I should say. No frame. It was a unibody. It was one of the first cars that had a unibody. No frame. And it was a good, rugged, crash-worthy car, as they proved in the crash tests. Ford Motor Company did not participate in this debacle. Ford stayed Ford. Ford is the healthiest motor company in the country right now. It made a couple of a couple of uh, marketing and 
design mistakes lately, but in general, Ford came out better than either of the other two large corporations. I bought an automobile last year in August. First automobile I've had since 1986, approximately, because I've always had pickups and vans. That's what our family needed. And I've still got a pickup in a van. i got to sell the van. It's a handicapped van with a ramp. Uh, it needs, needs a couple of things. It needs a new battery and stuff. It's been parked since last fall. And the registration expired in November. I've got to register it one of these days. You'll sell that and a bunch of other handicapped stuff. But Ford came out of this whole debacle smelling like a rose. And President Trump is, or yesterday he was in Davos, Switzerland. And it's quite an event to get over there. I mean, they've got a lot of snow, lots and lots of snow. In fact, they're going to have some avalanches over there in Switzerland. It happens every winter. They have an avalanche someplace. It goes roaring down some valley and <clears throat> flattens whatever's in front of it. But they understand that. Uh, they've got uh, large structures that deflect avalanches up to a certain point. And if the whole mountain lets go, that's, <laughs> nothing's going to stop that. Interesting place. So he's over there with all these big shots. And they're encouraged by the fact that they're not going to have to pay huge penalties and run into really atrocious regulations that don't help anybody. Everybody wants the workplace to be safe. Everybody wants the workplace to not have toxic chemicals that affect people. And it should be safe and efficient and well-lighted and all this kind of stuff. It's the right thing to do. That's not an issue. But we have these huge, onerous regulations that have ruined our paper industry and lots of other industries. We just see paper industry in Maine because it was so prevalent. We had the best fiber, the best workforce, the best mills, the best hydropower. It all came together, and it was very efficient until the Maine legislature told the power company, Central Maine Power and Bangor Hydro primarily, Look, you can't make electricity and sell electricity both. You've got to split up your company. So they had to sell their dams. And then the environmental industry came in and said, Look, we want all the dams taken out so the fish will be happy. What? We took out the Edwards Dam down in Augusta. Now they have floods all the time. You've seen the pictures down there. I don't think there's any ice fishing sharks on the Kennebec this year. I don't know if there will be this year because of the, of the flooding. It's not nice to fool Mother Nature, as the old margarine commercial used to say. You know, one of the one of the brands of margarine tasted a whole lot like butter, and, and somebody says it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. Well, 
One of the things that came to light over in Davos is a bunch of these guys, these heavy hitters financially, I'm talking a lot, huge, huge companies and nations that have a great deal of influence. And there, they didn't double, triple, quadruple their national debt like happened what happened during the Barack Hussein Obama administration. We raised our national debt by $10 trillion in eight years because we didn't have a budget. We still don't have a budget. We got another, what they say, a CR, a continuing resolution to continue to run the government even though we don't have any money. So we print money out of nothing. You can't do that forever. We've got a big economy with a huge amount of inertia. And it's not going to collapse overnight because of the habits of millions of people, not just the 330 million people we've got in our country, but all over the world, people are using dollars because there's a convenient way to exchange money. But they can't continue to print money out of nothing. Now, I've used my gold, gold coin and cow example numerous times. There's no need to repeat that story. Today would be a waste of time. But we've got a situation where they are going to establish a new system of exchange. And the, nobody knows what's going to happen, for sure. But they, they know some of the things that are going to happen. They're going to establish what they call special drawing rights, or SDRs, so that they can exchange money between nations without using U.S. dollars, because they don't want U.S. dollars. They want something that's going to be predictable as to what it's going to be worth next week, next month, next year, or a quarter of a century in the future. And those, those currencies in foreign nations that are backed by real stuff are going to be worth more and more stable long-term. And they can exchange assets with each other through special drawing rights. And they're not going to be denominated in dollars. These SDRs are going to be a new form of currency. Well, that's a kind of a spooky thing. And it all started out with these two brothers in England who invented something called a Bitcoin. Bits are simply pluses and minuses on a computer chip. And they started selling Bitcoins. Bitcoins are a vehicle where you can transfer assets from one country to another, one individual to another. You know, you can be a car dealer who sells a car to the guy that runs the lumber mill in town. And there's no sales tax when he sells the car, you know, the used car, whatever, to the guy that runs the lumber mill. This is a personal transaction. And they can trade it, and they can do use goods and services or whatever to exchange this thing. 
without spending any dollars. Of course, the dollars got spent when the when the pickup truck was manufactured. I mean, it didn't. Pickup trucks are real; they don't just pop up out of nowhere. So there is an expense. But when you're transferring just assets such as financial transactions, they found a way to piggyback this transfer on on these uh, transfers that occur every day, and then hop off. It's like it's like a hobo jumping on a freight train. He gets a free ride from from uh, Vermont down to Tennessee because it's warmer down there. You know, spend the winter down in North Carolina, Tennessee, or someplace, and go back to up to Vermont in the summertime on another freight train. This used to happen back in the 30s. And they had railroad security people. They were called railroad dicks. Dick was a was a uh, an expression that was used back in the 30s and 40s uh, to describe uh, private security people. And the railroads used a lot of them. And power companies used them. Lots of industry, industrial people used uh, private security people to prevent theft and vandalism on company property. Railroads used them. And I'm old enough to remember stories from adults when I was a kid about hopping a freight. And they had a pretty good idea where the freight was going to go. <laughs> Sometimes it didn't go where they expected it to go, and they'd have to go find another freight to hop. But back then, you could pick up a hitchhiker, and he's probably not going to rob you. you know, these hobos had their own underground, and they had campsites near railroad yards. They'd camp out in the woods and uh, brew some coffee in a, in a soup can. You know, it was a it was a hard life. But the government wasn't paying them not to work. So, they're going to have these special drawing rights. And it's... Uh, The special drawing rights are, are going to have a, a significant effect on our economy. And I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows. But there's going to be an upset. They're going to establish the special drawing rights on March 1st this year. And they're going to start not using dollars. So... I don't know what's going to happen, but bitcoins. It's funny, you know. Bitcoins were invented by these two brothers in England, and they had become extremely wealthy because they can generate bitcoins out of nothing, and people will take them. They'll buy them. They started out at five dollars, then they went to seven dollars, and eight dollars. Now, a couple of weeks ago, a bitcoin was worth twenty thousand dollars. Now, there's a rock star. I say a rock star. He's a he's a, one of these underground popular singers that go on concert tours and people go and they they spend lots of money and this guy gets his and his fellow singers and instrument band players they get a lot of money. I don't know much about this stuff, but one of these guys licensed 
some recording studio to record his music. And they paid him in bitcoins. And he didn't really, you know, follow this too closely. He had the bitcoins. And he just found out that his bitcoins were worth five and a half million dollars. And it was, you know, it's more than a thousand times more than he thought he had. He's very pleased to find out that he had five and a half million dollars sitting there that he didn't even know he had because he'd given this guy, you know, you're taking $5,000 worth of bitcoins and they're worth a lot more money now than they were when he took them. He should get rid of them. Most of them, at least. Bitcoins are worth $20,000 at the end of the year last year, approximately. Yesterday, they were worth $10,000. Now, nobody paid, well, very few people paid $20,000 for a Bitcoin. So most of the people that have Bitcoins are ahead. This is going to be like a game of musical chairs. If you remember, they had youth groups and church groups and they had dancers and stuff, and they had musical chairs. And the the song would play on the record, and all of a sudden, somebody would stop the record player, and everybody would have to jump into a seat. But there weren't enough seats. Somebody was left standing there. Well, you go go off to the side, and they'll take a take a chair or two out away, and they go away, and they start playing the music, and you start walking around and around. All of a sudden, the music stops. Everybody jumps in a chair. Somebody is standing there with no chair. That's the way it's going to be with Bitcoins. And who are they going to complain to? Gee, I had $20,000 or $200,000 or a million dollars worth of Bitcoins last week, and now I don't have anything. Well, you didn't really. You didn't really have it because it wasn't really worth anything. It's like, back, there's a famous thing in economics in Holland, they had a tulip craze. People were buying these special crossbreed tulips for large enough, I mean, 10 bulbs, 10 tulip bulbs of this particular hybrid tulip were worth thousands of dollars because you could make more of these tulip bulbs. But then, you, but when you stop and think, you say, now, how many people in the world are going to want to spend 20 bucks for a tulip bulb or 50 bucks for a tulip bulb. You look at the big picture and you say, no, not something I would put money into. And it collapsed. The people had spent vast amounts of money in the tulip craze when there really wasn't any market for tulip bulbs. We're in this delusional situation internationally today. And people that have assets that are probably not going to be worth a lot in the future are probably going to have to unload some of these assets for what they can get. This would be a good time to do that and turn those assets into real goods. In 
2009, the stock market went from 14,000 to 7,000. The 14,000 wasn't real. It wasn't worth that much, and people were gambling and bidding it up. How does this happen? How does this huge amount of false wealth get created? I say false wealth because it wasn't worth that much. But what will happen is somebody will sell 100 shares of a stock for 20 bucks a share. That's $2,000. Okay. Somebody else will buy five shares of that stock for $2,500. And, wow, look at this. All the TV shows it. Wow, look at that. This stock went up this much, and now the capitalization is $250 million for this company because somebody paid 25 bucks a share for five shares. So that's, that's where all of these shares are worth. No, they're not. Somebody wanted to make an investment and thought it could get a good return on it, but that doesn't mean all those shares are worth that much. And you watch the volume traded. Lots of people are speculating and moving around from one industry to another. Our economy is improving, basically. It is. More people are going to have found jobs. We've got the lowest unemployment rate in many years. But how is that defined? The unemployment rate is defined as the number of people who have registered with the state employment office says, I'm looking for a job. They put your name on a list and they count up the number of names and they say, okay, well, we don't have as many people looking right now, so the unemployment rate is low. But back in the background, there's another number. And that's the number of the population in the nation, adults now between 18 and 65, who do have jobs. And it, you know we know this because they're having part of their wages withheld by their employers. So these are the people that are working for other people, whether it be an individual. You know, the guy's got a little construction company, and he hires another truck driver to plow snow. So this guy is now on the rolls as employed. Last week he was looking for a job, and he got hired by this this local construction company. He's got the guy's got four employees and, and an owner. This guy is now employed, and when the snow plowing season stops, we're going to have mud time, and you know he's going to be out of work for a while. And he's going to be collecting unemployment, and the unemployment rate in that community goes has an uptick. Well, this happens every year. I mean, the loggers all stop working, and they all pack it in. They go to Florida for two or three weeks because it's mud time. The mechanics are all busy. Some of these truck drivers can work as mechanics and, and overhaul the equipment and change the tires. And, upgrade stuff, and they're still employed, but a lot of people who work in the woods go south for a week, two weeks, three weeks. Some of the uh, executives in these larger companies 
go south for two or three weeks. They'll come back, and then some other executive goes south for two or three weeks. They're taking vacations. But the people who are laid off are spending some of the money they saved up because they anticipated this is going to happen. It happens every year. I mean, we have mud time. <laughs> and uh, I'll talk about mud time in more detail at that time of year because you can plan what roads you can use and what roads you can't based on geography. But the employment rate is based on those people who who are working for an employer. You know, when they hire another person, the employment rate goes down. When they lay somebody off for the season, the employment rate, the employment rate goes up. The system, this 92 million people who are not working, aren't starving to death. Some of them are paid not to work by the federal government and by state governments. Some of them have never worked for an employer. They've been self-employed their entire life doing odd jobs. And turn off my phone. My phone just says I've got a message and I haven't turned it off. Now it's off. It's not going to ring. Anyway, there are people in Maine, lots of people in Maine, who have never been employed by an, a state employer. In other words, a state-recorded employer. They've done odd jobs for people. They rake blueberries, pick apples, cut wood, uh, go tipping for balsam tips, and make wreaths and sell the wreaths along a roadside stand. They get by. Getting by is a way of life in the state of Maine and many other rural states. But they've never... They don't, they don't contribute to Social Security. Some of these people get to be 65 years old. They don't have any Social Security because they never paid into the system. And they have to work till they die. That's, it's, that's, that's the long and the short of it. And a lot of them get taken in by family, as used to happen, you know, used to be three generations, sometimes four generations of the same family living in the same household. And everybody is contributing to the the family effort. When my grandfather was 92 years old, he was splitting wood in the morning, kindling wood, and a big broad-bladed hatchet. And he, uh, he cut himself in the leg with an axe as a young man. He had a great big on his calf of his left leg. He was like an upside-down U, and he'd hit, hit himself in the he, he was limping, and the axe slipped and flipped, and the handle was wet, and he hit himself in the leg and got a great big cut in his leg. It must have, uh, I can't imagine how many stitches it took, but he showed that to me, and he said, now, oh, you be careful with the axe, because <laughs> this can happen. But he was he was splitting wood in the morning and went in and had had some soup for lunch and he says, I'm gonna take a nap. He went in and lay down on the sofa and his daughter put a blanket over him and he went to sleep and never woke up. 
She went in to check him about 4 o'clock, and he was gone. That's the way to go, 92 years old. But he was living there, three generations in the house. Grant lived with me, or with our family. When I was a kid, I was about 12 years old. He lived with us for a couple of years and went and lived with uh, another family, one of his other, his daughter, her family. And uh, I can't, don't remember the year that he passed away, but I was about 16 years old when he passed. And uh, families took, took care of each other. We didn't have the huge, huge federal bureaucracy of welfare. We've put a dent in it in the last eight years in this state number of people on public assistance has, has declined slowly. There wasn't any huge cutoff date. It's just over time that it's, look, fella, you're 25 years old. You're physically fit, reasonably, because, I mean, reasonably healthy at least. You may not know much, but you need to go to work because we're not going to give you food stamps. We're not going to support you. You need to go to work. And they do. And there's thousands of people that are working now in the state of Maine. And some of them are just out not working for some employer, but they're out supporting themselves doing something. And that's a good thing. You know, people should should be self sufficient. Self-sufficiency is a good thing. And it used to be a, a dishonorable thing for somebody to go on the town. You know, if somebody went on the town, they just they couldn't heat their house, they couldn't feed themselves, and they finally had to go to the town to seek public assistance. It was a, it was a demoralizing, horrifying thing for that to happen. And this may have happened because a person had an illness for, for a while, and or had an injury and was no longer able to do what they used to do. I mean, we take care of these folks in our nation. And they feel heartbroken that they have to go on the town. Towns used to have poor farms. It was like a big rooming house, and they had a garden, and they had chickens, and they had a couple of cows. And, you know, the poor farm pretty much supported itself. People contributed used clothing, used boots, uh, sweaters, and hats. And, you know, they, it may not be the finest clothing, but they were. They had three meals a day, which they cooked themselves. They didn't have... Uh, they had somebody from the town that was a manager of the whole operation, but these people were pretty much self, self-sufficient grew their own vegetables, and there are still a lot of towns in Maine have the town farm road. And it went out to the town farm. And town farm road is a is a common road name in the state of Maine. Most towns had a town farm. The cities didn't, but you know most of the medium to small sized towns did. It worked. And these folks lived, and they were they were buried 
in a cemetery on the town farm. And they were referred to as paupers. And that was the fate of some people. They just, a lot of people, a lot of cemeteries in Maine have a large number of graves. They were dated 1918. This was from the Spanish flu. Spanish flu came through, and people would die of, of organ failure. It's a bad way to go. They would vomit, diarrhea. They could not take in enough liquid to maintain themselves. They went into organ failure and died of dehydration and organ failure. That's what happens with flu. And today, we can put an IV into them, keep them hydrated, and eventually they'll stop having vomiting and diarrhea and recover. By the way, you ought to have a flu shot. Now, a few people listen to this on a regular basis that don't get immunizations of any kind. You don't want to put this kind of stuff into the body. I get flu shots. And I was in the military. I've, I've been immunized against most of the world's diseases. And in my life, I have had three prescriptions for medications. Two were the result of injuries. And one, I got pneumonia about 25, 30 years ago, and I wasn't beating it. Went to see the doc, and the doc says, uh, Roger, you're not supposed to wait till you're dying to come in, you know. You ought to know better. Well, you're an EMT. I was back then. And I said, yeah, but I beat it last time. I thought I could beat it again, but I'm not beating it. So <laughs> I need some help here. So, so I got a, a prescription. It didn't. It wasn't the usual prescription when you go to the pharmacy. He said, what are you allergic to? I said, not allergic to anything as far as I know. I said, but nobody's allergic to erythromycin, right? He said, yeah, that's right. So he gave me a whole bunch of bag full of erythromycin-free samples. I used to, pharmaceuticals used to go around and they'd give free samples to the doctors. They can't do that anymore. But I got went out there with a whole plastic bag full of boxes in each bag, each box with two tablets of erythromycin. And that, that added up to about 30 boxes. And uh, he told me to take them till they're gone. Even if you feel better, keep taking them till you're gone, till they're gone. So I did. And I recovered pretty much from the pneumonia, but I never got my wind back. I never got the wind that I had prior. And he says, you've got scar tissue in your lungs. And there's nothing you can do about it. Just stay in good shape. Don't smoke. I never did smoke. And, uh, but I don't have the wind that I had before. So take care of yourself. If you get pneumonia or some serious disease, you need to go see a doc and have, it, have the problem addressed. When I was a kid, there was a doc down in Belgrade that would cure pneumonia. If you got pneumonia, you would go to see the doc. I don't remember his name. I'll call him Doc Jenkins. That wasn't it, but I'll just have to call him something. Go see Doc Jenkins. You go down and see Doc Jenkins, and he would listen to you, have you breathe in and out, and you're coughing, your lungs are congested, he can thump on your chest, 
and he would shake you. And you can actually feel the sloshing in your lungs because of this fluid drains down the bottom of your lung and just sits there. And it's a, it's a pool of resource for, for disease. Well, any kind of, you're really, you're vulnerable. Once you've got the flu, you can catch something else it's because your your body is already worn out from fighting the flu. Same thing with, with pneumonia. There's various kinds of pneumonia, but it's it's all bad. And you will go downhill and eventually it can kill you. We lose 30,000 people a year in our country to influenza. Influenza is what causes it, and they die of some additional factor. 33,000 a year die. Now, we've had a bunch of children die this year because the parents didn't take them to the doctor soon enough, and this is galloping flu or whatever you want to call it. It hits you hard and fast, and if you don't stay ahead of it, you're at risk of passing away from the flu. One thing you can do to minimize the effect of the flu is to have a zinc medication, like Zycam, for example. If it's a lot of zinc in it. Influenza hates zinc. Zinc kills influenza. It's not an instant cure, but it markedly reduces the effect of the flu. So just get something, have it on hand, and uh, you'll minimize the effects of the flu. Don't just have it for one person. Have a lot of it for lots of people. It doesn't have to be the tablets as I can. It can be uh, a high zinc concentration of of a uh, syrupy medicine. But you want to be Think ahead and minimize the chance of cross-contamination. If you've got the flu, stay or stay. Don't go to church if you've got the flu. A lot of old people in church, unfortunately. It's just most of them are old people today. Young people were uh, turned off by their experience with religion because there are churches, there are churches that are not welcoming to young people. And they're not wearing the particular style of suit and tie that they prefer you to wear. Well, you're not welcome in that church. It's, uh, you know, when you think of what Christ must have worn, you know, he was uh, economically in the lower class in, in society. And that's how our Lord made his way through through life. Today, appearances are more important than godliness in some churches. You're not welcome there. They've got their own little thing going. Christ would not approve, in my opinion. The way it is. So, coming by spring, 1st of March, sometime in March, you're going to see a lot of frantic discussion about our economy and the value of the dollar. 
A lot, nobody wants the Mexican peso, okay? The peso is not used as an international medium of exchange. The peso is worth whatever, whatever anybody will will do for a peso. The peso will buy whatever anybody's worth selling. You know, I'll sell you this much. Well, that's more than it was last week. Well, peso's not worth as much as it was last week, you know. I was in Chile in 63, 64, and they really wanted American dollars, and I've told this story before. Don't need to tell it again. But, you know, they really wanted American dollars because it's going to be worth, you know, $20 bill is going to be worth 20 bucks next week. It's going to be worth 20 bucks next year. And the Chilean escudo was falling in value. And nobody outside of Chile wanted a Chilean escudo. I brought a few home just as a novelty. They're not worth anything. You can buy a Zimbabwe $1 million bill at the country fair, at the Freiburg uh, Fair or the Skowhegan Fair, for a dollar. Because a million Zimbabwe dollars aren't worth anything in the international uh, exchange system. And nobody in the world wants pesos. We send a lot of American dollars every day to Mexico. Mexicans are here illegally often working, being paid in U.S. dollars, and they send the dollars home to Mexico because they're worth a lot of money. And he can't make the amount of money in Mexico plucking chickens or whatever he's doing at the Coster Chicken Farm. They don't pay that much to pluck chickens in Mexico, so they want to go up here and pluck chickens or whatever. More lawns in California. Lots of people have had gardeners for years. You know, they, they do a good job. They mow the lawn. They take care of the grass clippings. They trim the flower beds and, and you know, they don't even get paid very much, but they get paid more than they would in Mexico, so they come across the border. And people would like to have gardeners, like to have maids that do the laundry, and like to have people that speak English to watch the children while they're working, because mom and dad are both working, and they've got a, a Mexican maid in the house who was often in that same household for years, making a lot more money than she could in Mexico. And that's the way the system works. They can make more money picking tomatoes than they can in California than they can get picking tomatoes in Mexico. So they want to come here. Americans don't want to pick tomatoes. American citizens. But they may come a time when you have to pick tomatoes or apples or rake blueberries again. It needs to be done. You get paid so much a quart. You know, this we're, it's going to come back to this. You're going to have to support yourself in our country. And fortunately, right now, we've got a system growing in our country where there is a good demand for labor. People are hiring. They would like to have people come to work. And I'm going to mention next week 
our vocational education system because the average student that graduates from the average high school who's not in a college track does not have the skills to find a job in the state of Maine. Right now, we've got we're trying to get a bill back into effect where you can sort somebody out at seven fifty an hour to start. And as soon as that guy learns, you know, that gal, whoever, that person gains enough skills to be useful, they'll pay him eight dollars, then they'll pay him ten dollars, then they'll pay him twelve dollars, then they'll be paid fifteen dollars when as soon as he gets as soon as he climbs into a harvester or a forwarder or a skitter, they're gonna making eighteen, twenty dollars an hour and they can get married and build on a house and have kids and live a good life. And that this is the dream. But when a gal underserved by high schools in this state, because when they graduate, they're not employable in most industries. And this is wrong. We're paying and I might, I'm on the school board. We're paying $14,500 a year to educate a student. They got the four-year-old program. They got the pre-K program. They got kindergarten. And this is three years before they hit the first grade. In New Hampshire, you start out in the first grade. And if your town is wealthy enough, they may have a kindergarten. But they vote that in or out depending on how much money they've got to spend. Kindergarten is not required by the state. The state of Maine, Maine People's Alliance, would like to have a three-year-old program. So the state has got the kid for four years before they ever hit first grade. Three-year-old, four-year-old, pre-K and K. Holy mackerel. Before they hit the first grade. That's what they'd like to have. I'm going to follow this, the result of Davos. I'm going to follow this new special drawing rights and expand on it uh, a little more. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about non-alcoholic gasoline. People that don't want to buy alcohol in their gasoline, you can buy it today, and it's legal. And I'm going to cover it again. And... Now that now that it is legal and not underground, <laughs> you can walk into a chainsaw shop and you can pay three dollars and fifty cents for a quart of chainsaw gas. And for some homeowners and chainsaw owners, that quart will last them all year. Put in a cupful, and by the time you use that cupful, it's fall, and you might use two cups in the fall, and, and then during the winter, he might use another cup. So three dollars worth of chainsaw gas will last them a year. That's the so that's the saw you want to buy when it comes up for sale. By the way, <laughs> all right, I got about two minutes to go here. You want to be safe. Uh, you want to watch out on the ice. I, I took some pictures uh, when the when the streams came up and froze. 
the ice that you know was frozen right down to the brush and the trees and stuff, and then the streams went back down where they normally are, and there's all this ice attached to the trees up in the air two and a half, three feet above the water level. It's kind of interesting to look at because a lot of people in the, this country never see that. And there was a rabbit hunter out with his beagle in Predis years ago, 20 years ago now. It was about an inch of snow on the ground, an inch of snow on the ice, and he's walking across and he's getting back to the road. He's going to come out to the road and walk up to the road to where his truck is parked. And walking across this level spot and crash went through the ice. He dropped eight feet down. Boom. There he is down in a hole. And that was full of water because the culvert plugged up with ice. And then it drained off. And the ice stayed there eight feet up in the air. So he was looking up <laughs> through this hole. He just fell through it. And his dog standing <laughs> looking at him down the hole saying, what are you doing down there, you know? So he couldn't just hop up eight feet in the air. He went down, looked in the culvert, and he couldn't crawl through the culvert. The dog is walking around the hole looking down at him. The dog, dog says to himself, I'm not going down there. <laughs> so this guy finally walked up the hill, the slight hill there, and got up near the edge, and he stood up underneath this ice and cracked it, and the whole thing caved in along with the beagle. <laughs> and then, he, of course, now he's up out of there, and the beagle comes walking up through there, looking at his master and saying, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> True story. You can't make this stuff up. 10 o'clock, straight up. This is the end of the show. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the contents of Maine. Live, Friday, January 26th, 2018. Watch out for shell ice. Watch out for the ice near the brooks at the outlet and the inlet to the lake. There are surprises out in the woods and sometimes those surprises are not fun. I got stuck four times trying to deliver medicine and supplies to somebody out in the woods. Three feet of snow, powder snow. You get stuck in powder snow, it's a work. It's a lot of work. And I got I got it done. I had a friend with me. We we as a team we got it done. So as I say, this has been another mainland man show that be safe. See you next week. God bless. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.